We got any uh, Billy Joel fans in the audience? Anybody, anybody like Billy Joel? Yeah? Okay. We, uh, Andrew and I got to go with uh, some friends. I, I don't know. Uh, how long ago was that? Billy Joel? I don't know. Was it four years ago? Three years ago? She's not here. Anyway, uh, Andrew and I got to go see uh, Billy Joel in concert at the Royal Stadium um, years ago. He was doing a, a, a concert around the country at uh, baseball stadiums. That was, um, that was kind of cool. He, he's much older uh, and much larger than he was <laughs> when he was younger. And he did most of the songs that we remember. I, I remember it was really funny. He, he got to a point in the concert and, and, he, and he kind of stopped and he walked away from the piano and he said, uh, he said, look, I know uh, you all came to hear the songs that you grew up with, um, but um, I'm going to play some that you don't know, basically. Right? There's, there's Jim. Yeah, there you are. Uh, then he said something like that. Well, like, I'm going to play the new stuff that nobody cares about. <laughs> and he was like, I don't care. We're just going to do it. Um, anyway, yeah, n- nobody, everybody sat down then. <laughs> he played that stuff. Uh, maybe you remember, if you're a Billy Joel fan, you remember uh, that song he did, We Didn't Start the Fire? You remember that one? It's basically a history lesson of uh, the country and, and, the, and the world, really. Uh, the chorus goes like this. We didn't start the fire. It was always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire. We didn't light it, but we're trying to fight it. And this song really, I think, fits where we left things off last week. Because we came to this conclusion at the end of the message last week that we are powerless to avoid evil. We're powerless to not sin. We try, but we are just not able to consistently do the right things at the right time. And, and you know this to be true, because uh, like me, you might be really good for uh, hours or maybe a day or days, but, but eventually you fall back into those same habits, those same ruts, those same routines, like, oh man, I wasn't going to do that again, and here I am. We are flawed people, and we just simply cannot get life right on our own, no matter how hard we try. And, and, and I don't know about you, but that's depressing to me <laughs> because I, I like to succeed at things. I like to do well at things. And, and so considering, like, I, like, God, I want to do a good job for you. I want you to pat me on the back and say, hey, uh, you know, way to go, slugger, whatever. I, I want those kind of things, and yet I'm, I never get to that point where I feel like I've done enough good uh, enough of the time. But, but the knowledge that we can't get it right, that we can't not sin, that knowledge isn't supposed to cause us to give up on life and just go, well, that's it, I, I can't win, I can't get it right, I'm just done. That, that knowledge that, that we can't get it right is really supposed to move us to this place where we realize we need to give up control of our lives. So, so God doesn't want us to just give up on trying to live for Jesus. He wants us to, to give up control of that idea. When we come to the conclusion that we are failed, that, we flaw, that we're flawed, that we can't get it right, that we can't do the right thing all the time at the right time, 
When we come to that understanding, it's then that we begin to see God's faithfulness more clearly. When we recognize our own failures, our own weaknesses, we're able to see God's faithfulness, God's strength more clearly. And then that's why Paul is able to say, I'm not going to boast about the things that I've succeeded at. I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. I'm going to talk to you about how failed and flawed I am because it's through my weakness that other people are able to see God more clearly. And so this is the goal, right? To live this kind of of life, to surrender to God and to, to live in that blessing. But is that what we get? Is that how we feel on the daily? And, and if not, th- well, then why? Why don't we feel like that? Why don't we feel like God is moving and, and working in our lives every day? Well, I, I think to understand the reason or maybe begin to understand the reason, we've got to go all the way back to the beginning with the first man and the first woman. Adam and Eve They had one single, solitary rule to follow. Remember what what that was? God just said, look, basically you do anything you want. You eat from any tree, anything that you want, just don't eat from that tree. That was their rule. You can eat any of the things that I've created except this one thing from this one tree in the the middle of the garden, and, and that's it. And, and you and I, we, we look at it, we're like, well, man, I could avoid that all day long. Like, I'm, what's the problem? There's all these other things to eat. There's all this other fruit to eat. There's all these other things to do. I can occupy myself. I don't have to think about it. I don't have to do it. I would have never taken that fruit. But Adam and Eve couldn't do it. They couldn't obey that one rule. Now, skip forward a few thousand years, and you come to the Israelites, the nation of Israel. They're at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses goes up in the mountain. He talks to God, and he comes down with 613 commands. You read the book of Leviticus, you get 613 um, commands. Ten of those were the big ones, right? He comes down. He's got the stone tablets. He's got these Ten Commandments. And those were, the, like, those were the pinnacle commandments, but really there were 603 other commandments that went along with those. And guess what? Having 613 commands wasn't any easier for the people than having one command. They, they couldn't follow it. Didn't matter how many they, they had. Their ability to do the right thing, whether it was one law or 600 or 10, it didn't matter. We as people keep sinning like everyone before us and everyone who's going to come after. We, we try to fight the impulse to sin, but we are not strong enough to stand up consistently to temptation. You, you ever been in that place where you're like, I'm not going to do this anymore, and you're able to resist for a while, and you're no, 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 and you start feeling good about yourself like, man. I, I got this on lock, right? Like, I don't have to deal with this sin anymore. And then that's right about the time you'd fall and give in. And you go back, you're like, oh, I thought I had that, thought I had that beat. And so we go back to Billy Joel's song. You go, this, this seems to be a little more, more spiritual. Now, like, maybe Billy Joel had some things going on that maybe we didn't recognize or didn't understand. Because, because remember the, the words, we didn't start the fire, The Bible 
sometimes talks about sin as a fire. And then it consumes, and it, and it doesn't stop consuming. It gets it all. And sin does that in our lives, right? We didn't start the fire of sin. It's been burning since the world's been turning the whole time. We, we didn't light that fire. We're not the one. We're not we're Adam and Eve in the garden. We're not the ones who made that choice. But we have been trying to fight the sin that has been in existence since then. But that fight has been a losing battle for us. No matter how hard we try, we can't seem to get it right. So God made a way. He made a way for humanity to once again enter into the garden relationship that he had with Adam and Eve that existed in the beginning. That that relationship, it was real, it was mutual, it was full and, and we call that kind of life with God, that kind of interaction with God, we call that real life. And, and it represents how humanity was created to live in relationship with our Creator. That's what God wanted. I think I was supposed to do something over here, wasn't I, Julie? Did I skip that? I, I'm sorry. Well, I don't know where I'm going to fill that in. So anyway, there was some really good stuff here. Uh, so God is able to bring fullness um, from failure when we, when we let him. And he's able to bring meaning from our mess. And he's able to bring blessing from our, our brokenness. That's the goal. That's what I knew there was something I was missing there. That's the goal. But, but that often is not what we get. Instead, like the Israelites and like Adam and Eve before us, we, we sin, and we fail, and we continue to do that. So God had to make a way for humanity to once again enter into that garden relationship that existed between God and humanity in the beginning, uh, this relationship that was full and, and, and real. And like everything God does, the way to that real life doesn't come about the way we think it should. And so real life, let's do the next one, maybe. Real life doesn't come through our strength over sin, but it comes from our surrender to the king. So if we want to have that, that kind of life where there's blessing instead of um, brokenness, where there's meaning instead of just mess, we've got to come to this realization that the real life that relationship with god that 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 multi-dimensional in that relationship that fullness that real life that we talk about it doesn't come from our being strong enough to attain it it comes when we surrender to the king and so in, in billy joel's song he catalogs many like these incredible world and national events that, that individuals uh, and, and, and nations participated in. And Adam, actually, though, though we didn't talk about it, mentioned some of those things this morning. But, but you look through that list, if you go to the lyrics and you look through that list and that song, what you're going to find is that most often, whether it's the individual that's mentioned or a, a nation or a big event that's mentioned, whatever he talks about has some kind of scandal associated with it. There's some kind of deeper character issue or 
or sin. He's like just going, hey, this happened and this happened and this happened. It was very interesting. I actually read a little bit. Um, years ago in the 80s, I think it might have been like 89, late 80s, Billy Joel was in the studio recording with a friend and another um, young guy who was like in his early 20s, I think. And they were talking in between uh, Billy Joel's recordings, and the young guy made the comment that it was much harder to live in the 80s than it was in the 50s. Anybody grow up in the 50s? (laughs) Would you agree with that (laughs) or not? And so Billy Joel actually wrote that song because what that young guy said stuck in his mind. He was saying, hey, there's a lot of big stuff that happened in the world in those, in those decades. And, and so that's why he wrote that song. He brings it up. And, and we go, man, a lot of the things that happen are tied to scandal. And they're tied to these character issues and, and ultimately to sin. And it highlights our, our bottom line today. No matter how strong we think we are, none of us, says Romans 3.23, has been able to conquer sin in our lives completely. Romans 3.23 says all have sinned and fallen short of God's standard because we can't get there through our strength. We can only get there when we surrender to God. Now, even the Apostle Paul, we talked about him last week. He's the one who wrote the book of of Rome or the letter to the church in Rome. And and Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, struggled in his life. He wasn't perfect like we often think he is. Like, I don't know, sometimes I get in my head and I'm reading the Bible. I'm like, these guys must have had it completely together. Man, the Holy Spirit was working through them and they were hanging out with Jesus and it must have just been perfect. And Paul's like, no, that's not the case. We're not perfect people. Paul struggled against the temptation of sin. Last week, we looked at that um, verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 15 of, of Romans. Paul says, I don't understand what it is that I'm doing. The things that I don't want to do, uh, or things that I do want to do, those are the things I don't do. And the things that I hate, those are the things I end up doing. And, and we're right there with Paul. We're doing the same things. And so I challenged you last week to make a list of the spiritual areas where you felt weak so that you could then surrender those areas to God and ask the Holy Spirit to work in your life uh, in those areas. Now today, we're going to kind of take this a step further, and we're going to look at Paul's response to the work of sin in our lives. We're going to see a little bit more clearly How when we try to stand up to our sin in our own strength, we are going to fail. But when we surrender to the king, that's when we succeed. It's backwards, like most of what God does in in our world and how we interact with him and understand it. So let's jump into Romans chapter 8. And we're going to be looking this morning at the um, uh, contemporary English version. I I know a a lot of times recently there's a... English standard version. Um, sometimes it's like the way they, uh, they are written, and uh, I want to keep you on your toes. So yours might, yours might say a little bit different, but here's what the uh, contemporary English version says. If you belong to Christ Jesus, you won't be punished. Ding, ding. That's good. I'm glad to hear that. The Holy Spirit will give you life that comes from Christ Jesus and will set you free from sin and death. So I, I want to give you this like little bit of um, exercise while you've been um, 
reading your Bible, still, we're still in the first part of the year, and so I'm sure you all have still been consistent in your plans to read uh, some of the Bible every day, right? So, uh, so here's what I want you to do. Um, wherever you're reading, what, whatever you're doing, whatever version of translation you're reading, whether you're reading it in your Bible, you're reading it on your um, phone, your mobile device, or whatever, whenever you come to the word Christ, I want you to substitute the word king. And we've talked about this before. The, the word Christ, both in Hebrew and in um, Greek and Aramaic, the word Christ means anointed one or chosen one of God. And, and really, the Israelite people would have understood when they read the word Christ, they would have understood king. That's what they would have heard. The picture that they would have had in their head is the picture of a king. And so you would read this text, if you belong to King Jesus, you won't be punished. Now, that kind of changes things a little bit for us when we read, right? If you said king every time you saw the word Christ, it changes the meaning. We know what a king is. We know what we should do to a king. We know how we should behave and, and, and how we should respond to a king. And oftentimes we look at Christ, we think this is just his last name. And, and we go, why did, why did they put his last name before his first name? Because it's not his last name. It's his title. Christ is his title, and Christ means king. So when you're reading, substitute um, those words, and I think it's going to help you as you read. And so if you belong to King Jesus, you're not going to be punished. Now, your translation might say something like um, this, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in King Jesus. And maybe NIV, uh, ESV, uh, several other translations all kind of use those words, but really the words are um, the same. In fact, the word condemnation is a judicial word, and, and it essentially means a guilty sentence. And, and so condemnation is tied to punishment that every human deserves because of sin. So um, we, we think about condemnation, I don't know if we really understand that when we read the word condemnation, punishment is a, oh, sorry, thank you. Punishment is a part of that word. Condemnation is not just you're condemned, but what are you condemned to? And so um, this is the way, I, I kind of like the way it says this, you won't be punished. You won't get what your condemnation deserves. That's really what um, he's be, is, is being said here. Um, every human deserves that punishment because of our sin. Now, now we can go to the next one, Julie. We may not have committed the first sin, but we've continued to sin, right? And so we, we don't really have to bear the guilt of, of Adam and Eve. We got enough guilt on our own to, to carry. We've done it. We've blown it. We've made mistakes. And so we didn't commit that first sin, but we continue to sin. And so like Adam and Eve, we're guilty, and that sin must be punished. There is condemnation because of that sin. But you go back to Romans 8, if you are in King Jesus, if you belong to King Jesus, that word in, or that the CEV translates belong, it, they literally mean the same thing. If you belong to King Jesus, you are his subject, you are his servant, you are a part of his kingdom. And, and Paul says that even though you have sinned, 
you won't suffer the just and right punishment for your sin. So this is what Paul's saying. If you are in King Jesus, if you belong to King Jesus, you won't be punished as your sin deserves. Instead, he says, the Holy Spirit will give you life that comes from King Jesus and will set you free from sin and death. Oh my God, sign me up for that, right? That's what I want. I don't want to be punished. I, I want to get life and I want to get freedom and I don't want to be shackled by sin and death. Now, I, I want to, to take a minute and look at like, what is your part? What is our part in these two verses? If you belong to King Jesus, you won't be punished. The Holy Spirit instead will give you life that comes from King Jesus, will set you free from sin and death. What's our part? Does it say that if you work hard enough and if you do enough right things and if you obey uh, obey enough of the 613 commands that that you'll get to the end and God will go, okay, good job. Your strength, your ability, uh, your uh, good uh, job in obeying the, the rules gets you into heaven. Well, that's really a struggle because elsewhere in the, in the Bible we read this. If you break one of the laws, one of the 613 laws, you're really guilty of breaking them all. Because you can't unbreak something that you've broken. And so we don't have to sin every way. We just have to sin one way. And, and then we have this just condemnation. Your job and mine is to belong to King Jesus, to be a part of his kingdom. And if you belong to King Jesus, then he is your king and not just some king. And if you belong to King Jesus, the punishment that you deserve, you're not going to receive. Instead, the Holy Spirit will give you life. That's a a good word. And that life, it comes from King Jesus, and it will set you free from sin and and death. And so what is our part here? We're like, God, put me in, coach. Like, I'm ready. What am I supposed to do? This is what you're supposed to do. Belong. Your job and mine is to belong to the king's kingdom. See, Paul knows that you and I aren't, it's not like we're never going to sin again once we become a part of of Jesus' kingdom. It's not that we won't ever sin again. Again, uh, Paul said in in chapter 7, verse 15, that he does what he hates. That's called sin. And and he's not saying that, that you won't physically die when you get to this point. Because in verse 10 of chapter 8, he says that you will physically die. So we go, what's Paul saying? He seems to be talking out of both sides of his mouth here. It doesn't make make any sense. What Paul is saying is that if you belong to King Jesus, if you're a part of his kingdom, then you're going to live by his kingdom rules. And that means that the, the, the rules of the kingdom of sin and death, they don't apply to you any longer. And and so what he's saying here is that you are set free from this system, from the system that that we were ushered into by Adam and Eve, where sin 
equals death. When you break the law, you are condemned, and that condemnation has punishment, and you've got to pay the price for that sin. And Paul says when you belong to King Jesus, this mode of life doesn't have to apply to you anymore. Sin doesn't have to equal death, and it doesn't in King Jesus' kingdom. So how do we get these benefits, life and, and uh, freedom from sin, freedom from the fear of death and the punishment of our sin? How do we get to that point? Well, it's not by living a perfect life. We know that we can't do that. Paul's already laid out all the reasons for that. It's not having more willpower or, or doing more good things. There is nothing that you can do to earn the life that God has, has promised. And, and so, um, what is it? We have to come to, to this realization that God doesn't need you to be strong. What he needs is for you to be humble. God doesn't need you to be strong and, and, and do all of those things. You say, get everything right. Because it's not your ability to do the right thing that gets you the benefits of belonging in King Jesus' kingdom. It's humility to know that you can't do the right thing without God, without his help. And we have to come to terms with the truth. And, and really, I think that's what humility is. Humility is simply recognizing the truth. Recognize the truth about who I am, or recognizing the truth about who God is, about who everyone else is. We're, we're humble when we can say, um, I'm not better than other people because I recognize who I am. I know the truth about myself and my heart. And I know the truth about who God is, the perfect creator of all. And when we understand the truth about who we are, who God is, who other people are, then we can live in humility. Humility is recognizing that truth about yourself that you need King Jesus. You need King Jesus because you will never impress God with your own strength or ability or knowledge or money. Nothing that we bring to the table can we come in and go, look, God, look what I have. And, and that, that, if I'm honest with you in my in, in my self, man, that bothers me. Because I want to come to God and God go, go, look, God, look what I bring to the table. Look what I am capable of. Look at all the things that you've given me, the abilities and blah, 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 all of these things. And here, now you use me uh, how you see fit, but I'm going to bring you this stuff. And, and humility goes, no, it's recognizing I don't bring anything to the table. God doesn't need anything that I have. Man, that's tough. Look, for, for thousands of years, the Jewish people believed that they could earn their way to God if they just followed the law of Moses closely enough. If we just did the right things at the right time. Those 613 commands we mentioned earlier. But, but about 27 years after Jesus' resurrection, okay, so it's not, not very much time. And maybe if you're a young person, you think, oh, that's forever, 27 years. When you get to be 50 and over, 27 years is not long at all. Uh, 27 years is um, 60, uh, 78 for me, 78. 
There's not very long, not much time uh, at all. And so just 27 years after Jesus' resurrection, or, or we could say it this way, just 13 years after Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, Nero had the temple of God in Jerusalem destroyed. So since uh, 70 AD, uh, 1,950-some years ago, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple represented the presence of God among his people, the Jewish people. When the temple is destroyed, the presence of God goes with it. The, The sacrificial system of the Israelite people required the yearly sacrifice by the high priest for the sins of the nation. It it was celebrated on what's called the Day of Atonement. It was a a big uh, kind of festival thing that happened, and all of the people would come and gather in the courtyard of the temple. They'd pack millions of people in there, and the high priest would go through a very specific ritual of cleaning himself and getting ready, and he would go into the temple, and he'd offer a sacrifice for all of the people in the nation. That has not happened for the Jewish people in almost 2,000 years. And if a Jewish person can't sacrifice an animal for their sin, they are not forgiven for their sin. Think about for a minute how horribly depressing that would be. The, The presence of God is no longer with his people. And and there's nothing they can do about the sin that they continue to commit. No temple means no sacrifices, which means no way for the Jewish people to pay for their sin, which makes what Paul says next more powerful. He says the law of Moses can't do this. The law of Moses can't give you the things, the, the, the life and the freedom from sin and death. Now, now, when they would have initially read this letter, the Jewish people would have, would have appalled by that notion. But 14 years later, a year after the temple had been destroyed, this looks a lot better. The law of Moses cannot, just can't give you that real life that you want because our selfish desires make the law weak. But God set you free. Not the law of Moses. God set you free when he sent his own son to be like us sinners and to be a sacrifice for our sin. God used Christ's body to condemn sin. The law of Moses cannot set you free from sin and death. The the law couldn't even keep people from sinning. Those 613 commands, it didn't keep anybody from from sinning. It just created a way for them to sin and still feel confident in their faith. And Paul said the law wasn't effective at keeping us from sin, not because it was a bad law. Those those laws were, were good. They were just. They were right. It was because our selfish desires made the law weak. Here's how that works. When you are driving down the road and you've got a reason to be wherever it is that you're going sooner than you are going to get there if you obey the speed limit, what do you do? 
you speed. Most of us, all of us, <laughs> probably do that. And we always justify it in my mind. Well, that's, the, you know, I was stuck behind that granny and she was only going five miles an hour. So I have to, I've got to get there. I've, we, I've, I'm never the reason. It's never my fault. If I would have just left earlier, I would be there on time. No, there's always some other reason, some other excuse, some mitigating circumstance. Officer, look, it was that guy's fault. It's not my fault. While we go, what do we do? When everybody breaks the law, what, what do we do? Does the law have any teeth? Let, let me, here's another example. Um, <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, it's confession day for me. I don't know. I didn't get enough sleep last night. So uh, we go to Idaho, you know, where my family lives. And uh, one of the trips, for some reason, we, we went um, way down south to uh, Salt Lake area. We don't normally go that far south. And we got way down to Salt Lake, and, and then we were, um, we were coming up out of there, headed, headed north uh, towards Idaho. It was morning. We got up. Uh, the hotel we'd stayed at, I don't know. We got up. We'd, we'd, I just got on the highway. And, and I don't know if you've been out there, but it's, there's lots of people in Salt Lake City area. It was packed. And so we were on the freeway, on the, on the highway, and, and just, just driving. I was just trying to, like not mess up and get on the right road and be where we're supposed to be. And I remember looking down, and I, and I kid you, we were probably doing 80 or 85 miles an hour. And I, and I looked, and I look over, everybody around me is going the same, so I'm, like, I'm just, I was just keeping up with traffic. What have we done? We just made the law weak not because the speed limit is bad but because my desire to be where i'm going or to keep up or i don't want to cause any accidents by going too slow people have to get around me we got to keep up we make the law weak because our own desire we cannot follow it when we refuse to obey the law obey the law when we break it when we bend it to fit our whims we make the law weak but from the beginning, God knew we would be unable to obey the law. It's, it's our fatal flaw. And, and so God set you free another way. He sent his own son to be like us, meaning human and, and frail, in order to become our sacrifice for sin. A sacrifice w once for all, not something that you have to go back every year and do. And so God used our king's perfect life as a sacrifice. And, though, and through it, God condemned not us, God condemned sin. In, in other words, God punished sin and death so that we could be set free. And, and this is how the Holy Spirit gives us life, through the sacrifice of King Jesus. He sets us free from sin and death. And all that comes not through strength, but through surrender. Look at this last part of the verse. God did this so that we, sinful humanity, would do what the law commands by obeying the Spirit instead of our own desires. So God 
takes away our, our punishment, our condemnation. And instead of that condemnation, when we belong to King Jesus, he gives us life and freedom from sin and death. And he did this so that we would naturally obey the law that we can't obey on our own, by our own strength. When we surrender to King Jesus, when we turn our lives over to him, he does what the law could not. He gives us a new heart, a new mind that's controlled not by our selfish desires to do the things I want to do, but by the Holy Spirit. And when we follow the ways of God through the Spirit, we don't have to fear the punishment that comes for sin, death. When we function by the Spirit and not by our own desires. And so God says, when you follow the Spirit, you will naturally do the things that the law commanded. But it's not going to be this thing, oh, I have to do this, I got it. It's going to be this thing that naturally comes out of you. Because God's Spirit inside of you will replace your will to do evil with a motivation to do good. And so we'll find our minds turning to to things like life and peace instead of selfish desires that fight against God. Through God's Spirit, we become alive. And because God raised Jesus to life, that same power lives in us. We don't have to fear sin and death any longer. You and I cannot will ourselves into a relationship with God. We cannot win salvation by doing the right things and avoiding the wrong things. The way to God is not through strength, it's through surrender. And, and, and don't think that just acknowledging Jesus as God gets you a free pass. That all you have to do is just go, oh, uh, okay, uh, Jesus is God, woohoo, mm, go about my business. That's what the Israelites did. You've got to surrender to the rule and the reign of God in your life. And so look, you can't just add Jesus to your life. You have to turn your life over to him. And, 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 and when you accept Jesus, whatever you want to call it, when you surrender to Jesus, you're not making Jesus the VP of your life. And so whenever you have a question, you check with him. Hey, Jesus, what do you think we should do in this situation? No, you have to become his servant. And, and it's because you didn't earn your salvation. It was earned for you by the blood of King Jesus. And the only way to receive the life that he promises is by surrendering to his rule and his reign. And near the end of the song, Billy Joel changes the chorus in just one time. He says, we didn't start the fire, but when we are gone, do you remember the line? What's it going to do? It's going to still burn on and on and on. You and I can't stop the fire of, of sin's desire within our hearts, but God can. God can do that when we surrender to him, our will, our ways, to his will and ways. And, and that's why here at Real Life, we, we say it this way. And really, everything that we've talked about this morning can kind of be summed up in this one statement. It's our gospel definition. That Jesus the King died in our place and then rose as our defender. 
and invited us into a relationship with the Father where we could live our real lives through the Holy Spirit's power as we daily, two things, surrender to Jesus' reign and wait for his return. You, you want to have a life of victory. You, you want to have a life free from uh, sin and, and death and the pain that comes with that. You have to surrender to the king. Let's pray. God, thanks for loving us. And thank you for your son, Jesus, who's not just your son. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And if we, we want to have the kind of life that, that Paul talks about, then it is promised. We don't get it by our own ability or strength. We get it by surrendering to you to your will, to your ways, to your life. And so, God, we thank you for your son and for his sacrifice. And I pray that each of us, uh, that, that I would continue to learn how to surrender my life to you through King Jesus. And God, would you give us the freedom that Paul talks about when we belong to your kingdom. Thank you, God, for your son. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, a couple things before I, uh, before I let you go. Um, it, it, surrender is a big deal, right? Um, you don't just pray a prayer and everything goes right. It, it's about, it's a process of laying down your life over and, and over again throughout your life, and, um, and, and one of the ways that that begins is through baptism. And so uh, if, if you haven't taken that step yet and you've been thinking about it, um, I'm thinking that maybe in a couple weeks, maybe the 27th of March, we'll, uh, we'll bring our little horse trough baptism in here and we'll make that uh, available to you if you haven't taken that step before. Um, so you can go to the website, um, click on the next steps, and then I'm ready. And there's a form there. If you'd like to take that step of baptism, we'd love to have you join us uh, in that. Um, next Sunday, our friend Terry Deaver is going to be here, and he's going to be preaching for us. Uh, Andy and I will be here, um, but uh, after church, after we pack up the trailer and get it home, Andrea and Trent and uh, Trevor, our oldest son, and I are headed to Atlanta, uh, Atlanta area for the week. Um, if you're on social media, you, you've seen our stuff, or you've um, heard about the Summer Shirt Project with Jordan and Jackie. They're the people who make these shirts. Uh, we're gonna get to go hang out with their family, a Christian family down and coming. And uh, so we're gonna get to see their operation and hang out with them for a, a couple days and their family. And so we're gonna be posting some videos and some fun stuff with them. And, and just so happens while we're in Atlanta um, area, we're also gonna meet with, uh, with a guy named Brian who started a company called JJ Parrot, who makes these really cool uh, button down shirts that have these funky animals on them. And uh, hopefully within the next few weeks, you will see uh, us sporting some shirts like this that have Trent's art on them. And so we're gonna do a collaboration with both the Summer Shirt Project and with JJ Parrott and uh, get some of Trent's art on stuff. So just appreciate your prayers as we head down to Atlanta and, and um, go through all of that stuff with all of those folks. 
Uh, so thanks for that. Next Sunday, Terry Deaver will be here. Uh, band will be here. Let's um, worship. We'll have a good time. Have a great week. Love you. See you next Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to Real Life Live. Our hope and prayer is that the time you've spent with us has left you encouraged and challenged in your faith. It may have also left you with some questions or maybe wondering how all this faith stuff works. So we want to help you with that. Head over to reallifecc.us for a few different ways we can connect. We're thankful you joined us today and want to extend an invitation for you to join us in person at our current home in El Dorado, Kansas at the Civic Center, 201 East Central on Sundays at 10 a.m. We hope you'll keep tuning in and growing in your faith to look more like Jesus every day. See you next time.